can you succeed in raising your children to have unshakable faith in Jesus Christ, especially when the odds seem to be stacked so high against you? Our children are bombarded with images and messages every day that contradict the teachings of Jesus. And as parents, it's easy for us to feel outmanned and outgunned in our battle to shape their hearts and minds into committed followers of Christ. But the victory is ours for the taking. God has given us everything we need to equip our children for the life He's called them to. So join us today as we engage in the crucial conversations that will help you discover and apply the tools you need to raise your kids with unshakable faith in Jesus. And now, welcome to Unshakable Faith. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Unshakable Faith. This is Faith Talk 1360 and I'm Dr. Steve Hubler, President of Legacy Family Ministries. At Legacy, it's our goal to provide you with the equipping and the encouragement that you need to raise your kids with a faith in Jesus that is absolutely unshakable. So I would invite you to stay with us through the show today so we can do just that. Today we're going to unpack one of the many very important tools that we need in our toolbox to be successful in building the faith of our kids. And with me in the studio is my beautiful wife and co-host, Melissa Hubler. Hi, it's great to be here today, Steve. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. You know, There is an uncomfortable and inconvenient and somewhat alarming fact that all of us Christian parents need to face today. And that is about two-thirds of the kids in our children's generation, that would be Generation Z, they call it, are going to end up walking away from the church when they hit adulthood. Now, to be fair to the statistics that we see, some of those kids are going to return later in life, some after they have kids, but many of them are not going to return at all. And unfortunately, this trend is growing, and it's growing in the wrong direction. According to Barna Research Group, the dropout rate for Christianity has increased from 59% in 2011 to 64% in 2019. Now, that little piece of info there is bad enough when we just keep it sterile, and we just name the numbers and kind of keep the implications of those numbers away from our own personal household. But if we apply those numbers to our own families, the implications become a little more personal. They become a little more stark. Actually, I think they become rather alarming. For example, Melissa, you and I have three kids. We love them beyond measure. They are amazing kids in every respect. And we may be biased, but hey, that, that's how I feel about it. I adore them. I know you adore them. And we would do anything for them. Mm-hmm. But if 64% of our kids walked away from Jesus... That means that we lose two out of three of them. Now, which, what, what would that be? Would it be our two boys? Would it be one of the boys and, and, our, and our little girl? You know, that's not acceptable. That's absolutely not acceptable. I couldn't bear to picture two of them turning their back on Jesus, becoming hostile to him. That would hurt to watch that happen. But unfortunately, that's the very kind of thing that happens too often. Even loving parents who actively follow Jesus and attempt to build in their kids can have that result sometimes for varying reasons. It's very complicated, obviously. And it it happens to good parents. I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and we were kind of updating on, you know, where everybody was and what was going on. There's a ministry couple that we both know 
And this is a solid Christian couple. They're foreign missionaries. They've done their best to raise their kids to follow Jesus. But one of them is, and one of them is not. You know, they're, one of their children um, actually spends their time on social media arguing against Christianity and arguing against Jesus. And I know that absolutely breaks their heart. Yeah, it's tragic for a parent, especially ones who are actively on the mission field. Yeah, I think it would just accentuate it yeah. in, in that sort of a situation. But here's the direction that I want to go with this today. There really is a way to, to guard our family against this outcome. There are steps that we can be taking today to inoculate our kids against those forces in our culture that are working to entice them away from their walk with Jesus. So today, we're going to map out the first few steps that you can begin applying in your house even tonight. Melissa, why don't you start us off? Tell us what the first step is. Well, the first step is that we need to understand why they're leaving. If you don't have a basis for why they're leaving, then it's hard to know what to do about it. Uh, The research that's coming from Barna, he gave three reasons. I'm sorry, six reasons, not three. Six reasons on why um, this is happening. Kids think that churches are too strict. They think that Christianity seems shallow, boring, not relevant to life. Christianity is hostile to science. Churches are judgmental when it comes to issues of sexuality. They're uncomfortable with the exclusive nature of Jesus' claims, and churches are intolerant to those who have doubts. Wow, that's quite a list that you laid out there. Strict, irrelevant, anti-science, judgmental, exclusive, and intolerant. (laughs) Wow, that's a big one to overcome, isn't it? Yes. And unfortunately, while some of those claims sometimes are true, a lot of times they're not. A lot of the claims aren't true about the church, and yet people are believing them to be true. Right. The church obviously is not perfect, so we do fail sometimes. But Christianity in its real form does not fit that description, right. obviously. But, you know, it's a lot to respond to. So, you know, we're just going to we're going to address all of these things in, in future shows. But today, we're just going to drill down on that first one that first reason that Barna pointed out there, and that is the belief among so many of our young people that churches are too strict. And I think we're all aware that the voice of secular culture often presents God as this kind of a cosmic killjoy. I mean, I've heard it a million times myself. It's like God hates fun. He doesn't want you to feel good. He really just would be happiest if you were walking around with your jaw hanging so low you'd scrape your chin Mm -hmm. on the sidewalk. I mean, that's the way that they paint the picture of God. And that message that our kids get is, you know, it sticks with them and it feeds into that idea that you know, there's just too many rules in church. God doesn't want you to have anything good. And, and typically when kids are confronted with a lot of rules that they don't understand and rules that, frankly, they don't find necessary at their age because they lack wisdom and experience, they eventually rebel. That's right. I'm kind of chuckling a little bit because we have three middle schoolers and I can just hear them right now saying, that's stupid. <laughs> that's just stupid. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when they feel that something is is stupid, they don't want to take part in it. Yeah, the rules um, associated with churches, um, don't dance, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't gamble, don't goof off. The list of do's, do go to church regularly, read your Bible, pray regularly, go on missions trips. Um, yeah, there's a list of rules on both sides, the do's and the don'ts, and they just seem never ending sometimes. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking back to the messages that I got when I was a, a young kid, and I did not grow up in the Christian church. I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness, so things were a little bit different there, but uh, there was still, well, actually, there was a longer list of don'ts for that one, but won't get into that. The, the one that sticks out was, uh, it was like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, and by all means, don't hang around with the girls that do. That was kind of the joke, but it was the direction 
as well. And it kind of laid that whole list of don'ts. And and I did see God as a big, you know, the, the God of don'ts. You know, I was supposed to do all these things that weren't fun, and I was not supposed to do all these things that were fun. Um, so really, the first step to inoculating our kids is understanding why they're leaving. And this is one of the reasons. They believe that Christianity is just too strict. There's just too many rules in the Bible for them to be able to live under under that umbrella. So the second step that we need to take to inoculate our kids from these messages our culture uses to entice them away from Jesus is to build in them a firm foundation of understanding the character of God. Right. Have you ever considered that God has a character? You look at kids and you could say, oh, they're such a character because of their personality. So God has a personality. Um, God, and interesting to note that you can discover God's personality without ever opening the Bible. I love looking around at creation and you can see that God is an artist. He creates the sky or he paints the sky with the most amazing colors. You go and you look at the Grand Canyon and it's full of textures and color and design. God is an incredible artist when you look at his creation. God is a musician. Have you ever listened to birds sing or listened to the sound of water running through a brook? God loves music. He surrounds his creation with music. God has a sense of humor. If you just watch puppies playing and they make you laugh, you can see that God has a sense of humor. God is very creative. He has made the world, but gosh, just look at the desert. You don't even have to look at the entire world with so many different varieties of plants and animals that you could spend days just noticing all of them. You look at the flowers that are blooming right now all over the desert. It's so beautiful and so unique and so creative. Um, God is full of passion. If you live in the desert and monsoon season rolls around, sit outside at night and listen to the thunder and the lightning chasing each other. There is a passionate display of light and sound that God gave us. Um, God loves beauty. Man, our world is surrounded by jaw-dropping beauty. We go up to the White Mountains in the summertime, and we just sit and we look at the meadows and the mountains and the trees and the deep blue sky. It is just such an amazing thing of beauty. But mostly I see that God is a God of love. When you watch a father holding his baby for the first time, you understand just a small bit of the fact that God is love. Um, And I say this specifically about a father because a father doesn't carry a child for nine months. He sometimes is part of that process, but he doesn't carry that baby. But when a father holds his child for the very, very first time, there is this instant bonding that happens. And our kids were adopted. And so I say this from experience that when when you heard our son cry for the first time when he was minutes old, I saw the change come over you. There was this love that took hold of your heart and wrapped itself around you that I had never seen before. And when you held him for the first time, it was just this thing that was so overwhelmingly beautiful. But that shows us something about the love of God, because he put all of those things out there. So all of these are pieces of God's character that we can see without ever opening the Bible. But then you open the Bible, and oh my goodness, the character of God on every page, you just see it unfold before you. And it is something that takes your breath away. When you really look at who God is, who he made you to be, and how he designed all of that simply because he loved you and he wanted to be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love some of those examples you gave. You know, and I was, of course, remembering that moment that you described when I was holding our 
our, our first son for the first time, it hit me like a Mack truck. Mm-hmm. And it did not take many seconds for me to connect that with this is the passion of the Father. This is the passion of God. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The understanding and paying attention to the character of God is absolutely essential for us as parents to be able to impart that to our kids because mm-hmm. seeing the nature of the one who gives the do's and the don'ts colors everything about what he says. So, yes, very important. You know, the third step that we can take to inoculate our kids from the messages our culture uses to entice them away from Jesus is simply to directly address the specific concern that they have with God's negative commands. You know, the don'ts especially, because those are the ones that I think get the most resistance. You know, this is where we come back to the whole claim that God's the big cosmic killjoy. You know, when when he gives us these negative commands we see in the Bible, it just means that, well, he's against pleasure and he's against fun and he doesn't like any of that stuff. So how do we address that specific concern? Well, we I suggest that we use the simple principle of protect and provide to reveal God's true motives. And it helps to reveal his character true. But we use this principle of protect and provide in, in telling us why we can't have or do something that we desire. And that is like every single time God tells us in his word to do something or to not do something, his true motive in giving the command is either to protect us from something that is bad or to provide us with something that is good. That's where I get that whole idea of protect and provide. He's trying to protect us from something that's bad or provide for us something that's good. So let's start out with a good baseline example from scripture. Melissa, take us through one of our verses that we've used to try and demonstrate this principle to our kids. Well, let's look at Genesis two sixteen and 17. It says, But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely of every fruit in the garden, except of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So in this passage, you've got God giving um, some commands. He gives a do. Do eat freely of anything. You see his provision here that he said, go and eat, partake. I've given it lavishly before you. There's as much here as what you could possibly want. Go and enjoy it. He gave to them out of his riches. Absolutely. But then he also gave a don't. Don't eat from that tree because that one is going to do you harm. And so he put something there as well that he was trying to protect them. This is going to cause you something that brings pain. And I don't want you to have pain. So he put a warning out there for them. And we've got, you know, you might have somebody who comes back and says, but why would a good God put something in the garden that was going to harm them? And, you know, there there might be some really, really great theological reasons for that. And I am not the world's best theologian, so I'm not going to try to answer all that. But I would ask, do you have in your kitchen an oven? Do you have in your kitchen a knife? You have things in your house, in your kitchen, that can bring harm to your children. If a child picks up that knife, you give them a don't. Don't touch that. You're going to get hurt. If they go near a stove that's hot, you give them a warning. Don't touch that. You're going to get hurt. Well, God did the same thing. He gave us a warning because he didn't want us to get hurt. And God is a gentleman. He created mankind with free will. He knew that for man to be able to be who he designed them to be, they had to be able to make choices. And that tree was there for whatever reason God put it there. It allowed them a choice, a choice to listen to the voice of the Father who wanted to protect them, who wanted to show them love. And he allowed them to make a choice. Yeah. And you know— 
Those types of uh, observations are, are incredibly important. And I would say for this particular passage, um, this is a good one to use with little kids. Mm-hmm. Because when they're in the elementary school ages, they are being exposed to your basic Bible stories, right? right. I mean, really, I mean, I know in our house and many other households, maybe even yours, um, this this kind of thing starts out very early. You know, your, your your child is born and you have the baby shower and people give you those cardboard Bibles with the big, you know, thick right. boarded pages. And you get an abbreviated version of the the creation account. Great. You know, you can start building this into them, even though they're not asking the questions. But you can, as you're reading through the story, you can start laying the groundwork. And when they get older and they start asking questions about this stuff, because there's a lot of no's basically when kids are young because they ask crazy questions. They want crazy things because they don't know any better. So, you know, when when you're dealing with the no's, this is one of those biblical accounts that you can go back to with your kids and walk them through it. It's like, look, God gave them this beautiful garden and you accentuate the character of God. You make references to how good his character is for the gift that he gave them and then point out to them, this is what he provided for them. Something that was beautiful and rich and full of life. And there's a positive command there. You know, from every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. Go, enjoy. And then the negative command, but from that one, don't. And point out to them, use the words, protect and provide. You know, God wanted to protect them from the pain and the suffering that we see in the world now. And I think little kids even get pain because they fall down. They skin their knees. They, mm-hmm. they get that kind of stuff. But uh, this is a great passage that you can use even for younger kids. Right to start modeling this with them. You know, when you, when you move to the older kids, obviously the, the pressures get a little bit different. You know, um, you pass middle school, well, actually in middle school now you know, and into high school, there's the, the pressure to, to be around boys or girls and start dating and all that kind of stuff. And there's the, the sexual tensions that start coming in. And there's another passage that I wanted to use to demonstrate this. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. I always want to walk through that really quickly so you can see another example of how this plays out. This, per, this particular verse says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, to a teenager who has hormones flooding their body, who, let's just use a, a young man who has uh, connected with a, a girl at school that he finds very beautiful and very attractive, and maybe she's not a believer, and she's willing to go some places that he's not. This is going to be a huge problem. This is going to be a huge temptation, especially if, if, if she's willing to cross lines that he knows he shouldn't cross. Because now what he's up against, and this can happen in the reverse too. I'm not, I'll just use boy because I'm a boy, right? Um, but, uh, you know, there's going to be a huge temptation there for him to cross that line. And the only thing backing him up from it is commands like these negative commands from God. So the negative command is very, very clear. Flee that stuff. Don't do that. Don't cross that line. Even though, and God doesn't put this in the verse, even though it would feel good in the moment, it would be exciting in the moment. It would give you stories that you would shouldn't share with your friends, but you probably will share with your friends. You know, all those things that seem exciting to a young guy that's tempted. But as you're walking him through it, very easy to point out, look, what's the positive command in here? The positive command, it's implied, and that's stay pure. 
And there's other verses that you can take them to for that. Keep yourself pure. Right. Well, and the verse says, the dew is there. Glorify God with your body. There is a very clear dew in there. But yes, the reason for that is for that purity, because he has something so unique and special for you and for your future. Mm -hmm. And the negative command, obviously, is flee sexual immorality. Don't do that. But I could very easily walk through my son, with walk through this stuff with my son, or even my daughter, if the situation was appropriate, and uh, say, look, here's what God is trying to provide for you. He's trying to provide a pure life of blessing with your spouse later on, you know, purity in the marriage relationship. And what he's trying to protect you from, and man, there's a list there, broken heart, embarrassment, premature pregnancy, just sexually transmitted diseases all the way down. It's protect and provide, Mm -hmm. protect and provide. When you do that, your kids start to see the character of God coming alive, that he's not some big ogre in the sky, but he's actually trying to do something positive in your life. Now, if we want to really be intentional and strategic about preparing our kids for these challenges, we can start modeling this for them when they're really young, like I said. For example, our daughter is five years old. Let's, let's, let's switch the perspective. Let's just say, I'll give you an example. Let's just pretend you have a daughter that's five years old. It's 20 minutes before bedtime. She sees a package of Reese's peanut butter cups on the counter and wants to eat them for dessert. So she makes a request to you. Mommy, Daddy, can I eat the Reese's? And uh, you got two options at that point. You can basically just say no and leave it at that. And if you do that, she's likely to think that at best you're unreasonable or unsympathetic. And at worst, she's going to think you're just plain mean for denying her that simple pleasure that she desired. Because, hey, to a five-year-old girl, 20 minutes before bedtime, Reese's Pieces, they sound really good. Or you can say no. And when she says why not, because they always ask why not, you can start by connecting your response to their trust in you. Something like, you know that I love you, honey, right? And you know that I want what's best for you. And make them answer, yeah. Then I know from experience that if you eat that candy right now, you're going to have a stomachache later. And you won't get a very good night's sleep because you're going to have a stomachache. And when you don't get a very good night's sleep, you're going to wake up and you're going to have a hard time getting rolling in the morning. And it's going to make the first part of your day pretty difficult. So the reason I said no is not because I don't want you to enjoy the candy now. It's because I'm trying to protect you from feeling sick later on. And I'm trying to provide you with a good night's sleep and a good start to your day tomorrow. So it's really a very simple formula. Then you reinforce your love for them. That's that whole part about you're, you're attaching your decision to your character. And they know you're good, just like you would for connecting God's commands to God's character. And then you introduce the principle of protect and provide. And like I said a minute ago, I highly recommend actually using those words. So you're you're telling them, I'm trying to protect you from this and provide that for you. Well, and children are very, very good at providing the leveraged moments for that conversation because anything that you tell them to do, the immediate response is, why? Yeah. Or why not? So they give you plenty of opportunity. And while the knee-jerk reaction is to respond, because I said so, that is not always the response that they need in that moment. And when we take the time to tell them why, because I'm trying to protect you. I am trying to provide this for you and protect you from that, just like God is trying to protect you from this and God is trying to protect you from that. So, yeah, use those moments because kids put them out there for you. They are natural why-askers. Why? Why? 
Why? And it goes on for years. It does. It's never ending. And the questions or the answers, I should say, actually get much more difficult. You know, when they're super little, the answer to the why is very simple because you're tired. You know, I'm trying to provide rest for you. And so you need to go to bed when I tell you to. When they get older, the answers are more complicated, and you have to be willing to take the time to go through those things with them so that they're able to understand truly that you have their best interest at heart. You're trying to give them something that's good, not just take away something that they're wanting. Yeah, those why questions are excellent open doors to leverage moments. So really, here's what I hope we take away from this. We can model in the basic goings-on of life the protect and provide principle that God lays out for us. And, uh, of course, when they get older and they start moving into more difficult, difficult, challenging situations, we can just piggyback right into the form we've always used and connecting it to God. Well, thanks so much for joining us again today, and thanks for the Faith Talk family and and, uh, the podcast listeners for diving into this crucial conversation today that hopefully will help us discover and apply more tools that we need to raise our kids with an unshakable faith in Jesus. I'd like to invite you to visit our website at LegacyFamilyMinistries.com where you can find information about our upcoming family camp in July. We would love to have you guys with us. It's a great deal of fun. We learn a lot and we have make some good memories with our family. And also you can find the opportunity to become a financial partner with us as we continue the work of equipping moms and dads just like you to push back against all of these negative influences of our secular culture and find the success that you need and building unshakable faith into your kids. Once again, that's LegacyFamilyMinistries.com. Remember, you can be a pro at raising kids with unshakable faith. We'll see you next week.